Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Uh, as promised, Adolfo Mondragon, the pride and joy of the southwest side, and Joshua Smizer de Leon, the pride and joy of the northwest side, uh, with us today. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. All right. Thanks for having us. Don't be too enthusiastic, uh, young man. All right, now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. Uh, all right. So, uh, I guess. Yeah. I mean, wow. Yeah, yeah. If you make me come on, I'll come on. Uh, all right. Uh, each of you have something to promote and talk about. We'll start with you, Joshua. Uh, tell us about uh, your podcast. Let the world know. Uh, sing it from the mouthtop where they can hear your podcast. Go. Sure, right on. Really quickly, I've mentioned it on the, the show before, but I am the host and founder of the Paseo Podcast. It's a podcast that's dedicated to highlighting stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community. You can look us up at uh, paseomedia.org or on Twitter and Facebook at Paseo Podcast. We're about a half hour, and we have a different Boricua in the guest chair every time. Uh, since quarantine happened and uh, all the protests, I've kind of taken a backseat a little bit. I've also moved. So once I find my podcast equipment, we'll be up and running, but we still push out content about every couple of weeks. Okay. And I should mention, I think we said we would mention this, uh, that your day job is you're an aide to uh, Alderman Daniel Laspada. Uh, Joshua has been on my show several times before. This is the first time he's been on since he got that job. And so let me just say this. The views and opinions of Joshua Smizer de Leon are his. All right? So all you censoring people out there, leave leave the alderman out of it. All right? Just this is Joshua's views. Did I say that right, Joshua? You sure did. You sure did. My my opinions are my perspective alone. Uh, and like you said, Ben, I've been on the show before. Big fan. Um, and yeah, I do not speak on behalf of the Alderman. This is just purely Joshua Smyther de Leon speaking here. Right. That's correct. Thank you. Robert Mueller agrees with that. So if he says something <laughs> irritates oh, you. Oh, I'm honored. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just hold him accountable and leave the Alderman out of it. Uh, Adolfo Mondragon has been on the show many times. Uh, El Dragon is his nickname. He's an attorney uh, and a troublemaker of the greatest uh, fashion. <laughs> And uh, update people on what you're up to. The last time we've talked a lot about your lawsuits regarding forcing. Right. I, I actually talked about it first on your show um, several months ago. And since uh, I last came out to your show, the Illinois Board of Elections um, heard my case uh, uh, that is against the um, political action committee that Danny Solis had, one of his political action committees. Uh, because Danny Solis uh, used money from that fund to pay for his legal defense with the current federal charges that were, you know, the investigation anyway, there were no charges against them. And uh, Alderman Byron Cisco Lopez was uh, brave enough to be my uh, plaintiff. And we, we filed a complaint and the board took down all of our arguments. We went before the full board. And, um, of course, I knew that the administrative agency was not going to have any backbone. And even though they've never ruled on this issue, uh, they've always allowed that practice to occur. So they were just going to rubber stamp it. But at the actual uh, board hearing, I stood up and I <laughs> I did my best Al Pacino. And uh, you can't handle the truth. And I actually changed the minds of a lot of those board members. But they ultimately said that they agreed with me, but that their hands were tied for pr procedural reasons and that, that they had to deny my um, complaint. But I knew I was not going to win at the administrative level. You never win at the administrative level because they, their findings really have no backbone. And so uh, the law allows a direct appeal to the Court of Appeals, and that's where we're at now. I, they haven't filed the record, so I still haven't done my opening brief. But I will be uh, filing the brief, and in a few months I'll be arguing before the uh, 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 First District Court of Appeals. All right, and uh, 
not to go on a tangent, but as the movie geek, I must point out that you were actually, you imitated Jack Nicholson when you said you can't handle the truth. Uh, that was Jack Nicholson. Ah, Pacino's right. quote, which is just no. as good as, out of order, the whole system's out the of order. The system is out of order. Uh, right, right, <laughs> right. That's Dog Day Afternoon, right? Is no. that Dog Day Afternoon? Uh, Dog Day Afternoon is the one where he goes, Attica, Attica. Uh, Attica, I love Attica, Dog Attica. Day Afternoon. It's one of my favorite movies. I've seen it like 10 times. Uh, oh, that could have been also Sense of a Woman, where he goes, uh, where he stands up, if I was younger, I'd put a flamethrower to this whole board. Yeah, that could Sense be. Of a uh, woman? Yeah, no, I've seen that one too. No, you're thinking of just, I think it's called Justice for All. It was Justice a, for All. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I originally was trying to quote, but I'm saying the flamethrower is from Sense of a Woman where he defends the kid at the end of the movie. Yeah, no, you I. Know, he's blind, right. he's the blind ex yeah. that. Uh, we should do a whole, one time I urge everybody, not now, uh, go check out uh, the. Um, the, the show that Adolfo and I and Sergio did about uh, uh, gangster movies. It's one. It's it's a great oh, show. Right. It's a great show. All right, uh, a lot of topics to discuss, and uh, we're going to probably close. Uh, get uh, Adolfo's take on Raylo's uh, <laughs> exchange with Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Raylo, of course, Alderman Raymond Lopez. And the reason why I really want to get Adolfo's take is Adolfo is from the 15th Ward on the southwest side. Once ran for Alderman uh, in that neck of the woods, so he knows the area, he knows the community, and he knows Ray, uh, Raymond Lopez and the interesting transformation that Raylo has uh, been undergoing since uh, Lori Lightfoot, uh, his political transformation, I should say. So we'll get to that, but let's start with the whole defund the police movement as a concept and as a message, and we'll start with you, Joshua, there's two points. The concept of defunding the pr police or using monies uh, for other purposes, purposes other than uh, law enforcement, and then the message itself, defund the police, the slogan itself. What's your opinion about uh, defunding the police as a concept and your opinion of it as a message? Go. Yeah, as a concept, you know, I think, I think it's, I think it's a discussion worth having. I think we'll get into messaging later, but the the term defund the police, I think makes people tighten up a bit. But once we start breaking down the numbers and we start approaching this from more of a community, community mindset, I would imagine, I would hope and imagine that more people would lean into supporting this defund the police movement. And I think it, it all can center around one simple question. We need to ask the question on what are police doing right now that can be taken off their plate and given to other professionals who are actually trained and certified to do this type of work. If I can just throw out a quick example, let's take homelessness and mental health. We, instead of, instead of trying to direct the root causes of homelessness, instead of trying to address the needs of people that are experiencing mental health issues, we instead uh, put more money into the police budget and we end up criminalizing these things. If you look at Chicago's budget, we're, we're at close to 40% of our budget. That's $1.8 billion on policing in this year alone. I mean, we've seen this grow, this budget grow every year since 2012. So to give this, put this into perspective, I mentioned mental health earlier. So we're looking at $1.8 billion on policing for the year. That's $5 million on policing every day compared to how much the city has dedicated to mental health services in just five months, that's 9.4 million per year. I mean, it's 9.4 million for the year. Mm -hmm. So that, that automatically blows out any other budget that we have that's allocated to actually address root causes. So our answer to homelessness, to solving homelessness is to lock homeless people experiencing homelessness up. Our response to people that have mental health issues to solve mental health issues is to send police that may end up exacerbating the, the situation and potentially putting the lives of someone that's having a mental health breakdown at, at risk. So we need to start looking at what we can do with our taxpayer dollars that can affect the, the most amount of people, if not all people, in a positive way. And right now, we have a misguided we have a misguided outlook on how our tax our taxpayer dollars should be used. There's no reason why 40% of our Chicago city budget should be dedicated to the police. And it, I, honestly, I think it's unfair to police officers to expect them to not only be law enforcement officials, but mental health officials, social services, to deal with things like like homelessness, 
I mean, that, that is uh, that is an incredibly large undertaking. So to put all our eggs in one basket like that is just a misguided approach to dealing with the systemic issues that have plagued our marginalized and oppressed communities here in the city, especially our brown and black communities. Adolfo, your thoughts? Um, as a concept, I, you know, I'm on board. Um, before I heard of uh, the fun police movement, I was always an advocate of just, um, you know, the basic economic concept of reallocating uh, funds from one area to another. I think you and I have had conversations where I told you, you know, the only thing that I remember from economics class, well, not the only thing, but the main thing is the definition of economics, right? The study of the allocation of, re- of scarce resources. And they always give you that example of guns versus butter, right? And on a national defense kind of thing, it's the guns versus the butter. Why doesn't the butter ever get a, like what the guns get, right? Now, whether or not you just focus on defunding, getting those resources exclusively from the police is another debate. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, uh, reallocating some of the budget money towards other resources from the police budget and then some other money from other sources that are, you know, waste or, or also we could afford to reallocate them from those departments. So this, I think it's a great idea. How you sell this, um, I think that the defund uh, word is, not a great word, one, because very few people, my understanding of the movement itself is that very few people believe that you should abolish completely the police department. So it gives that sense that you're defunding, defunding completely, you're bankrupting the whole budget. Um, I think that you have to sell it the way Joshua says, is that you have to give practical examples of, of you know, what it really means in terms of taking things off a uh, police officer's place that they're not best uh, equipped to do we already do it for some things, um, not that they're not best equipped to do, but we already allocate certain uh, jobs of theirs, and that's the way you go about it. You say, for example, you know, police once used to provide security for things like, you know, the Bears game and stuff. Now they don't. Now private uh, security companies do that. So that's an example. You could also say police used to spend a lot of time, you know, giving parking, parking tickets and there was a quota, et cetera. Now there's much less of that because the – there's the revenue service department that goes around and gives tickets and stuff. So that's a job that police used to hold at one time. Now that now they don't. So I think that you have to sell it in that way where you say that, uh, you know, it's not that we're getting rid of the police. I think that at some fundamental level you need police force because there are basic things that they will always be best equipped to, to do, but uh, that you could, uh, you know, certainly uh, take from their budget, which is bloated and, is going towards things that they are not uh, best suited to do and allocate those funds to things that maybe solve some of these problems, underlying problems, and or towards people who could handle these things better. You know, Adolfo, uh, when we think about how, at the very least, the political rhetoric has changed uh, in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder, just think about this. I don't know if I've had this conversation with you. I've had it with many other people. Uh, In 2015... Jesus Garcia was running as a quote-unquote progressive challenger to Mayor Rahm. Uh, and one of his first uh, pl- planks on his platform was to call for hiring a 1,000 more police. So he was right, a progressive right. candidate. He was running with the mantle of progressive. I voted for him. Uh, and uh, not that that may automatically makes him a progressive, but, you know, that's where people who are at least anti-Rahm are going. Uh, and he, right. he felt compelled to run... Uh, on a platform that promised to hire a thousand more police. That's how entrenched it was in people's minds, politicians, that you cannot run, you cannot allow yourself to look too soft or weak on crime, that you had to adhere to the get tough on crime uh, rhetoric. And so the mo- the progressive guy was running on it. I don't, I don't know if that would be the case uh, this day and age if a, a progressive candidate for mayor would run on a platform of hiring a thousand more, more police. Well, I, I don't, you know, that, that law and order, uh, definitely, um, uh, idea goes back decades, you know, back, uh, so at least, the, uh, uh, Nixon or before that. Right. And so I don't know if, um, the fear of running against an opponent that would hit you with that would still keep some progressives from, you know, wavering on the issue of defunding or not. It'd be interesting to see from here on. I think it's a very powerful idea in the minds of people because crime is palpable, right? People see 
uh, that crime affects their life every day. And so for someone to just say or use the word defund uh, might not really go well with, uh, you know, individuals who live in, um, you know, in, in neighborhoods or, or, or geographic areas where there is a lot of, of uh, crime of, of any sort, whether it's violence or just property or whatever. And so um, it'd be interesting to, to see what the effect of that, uh, of this movement is towards pushing back against that conservative law and order um, idea. Joshua, it's your yeah, thoughts. It's a, it's yeah, I was just going to chime in and, and just say it, it's a powerful moment in our history. And, you know, this, uh, I don't want to make it seem like, you know, we just get everybody together and say defund the police. And, you know, we have these conversations with, you know, one-on-one discussions, group discussions with people. I'm not saying that that's something that'll happen overnight. I think we're seeing a lot of more public pressure, which is great. But I just want to put a reminder out there to people listening that protesting police violence is not something that's new in our country. It's not something that just popped up overnight. The past decade, this is something that's been going on, I mean, dating back to the early 1900s. So we are, this is a, this has been a slow, a slow path to this point. So we are talking about layers upon layers upon layers of work that will need to be done to even get the the goal of the defund the police movement done. Uh, and it's so I, I love the energy that I'm seeing right now on the streets. And I, I just hope that that continues because we're seeing we're seeing some pretty some pretty positive numbers in in terms of public support for not only. Uh, the demonstrations that are happening, but the Black Lives Matter movement as a whole. I believe there was a New York Times article. I want to say it was a New York Times, but they had highlighted some recent poll numbers. And I want to say it was about 57% of voters thought the anger behind the demonstrations was justified. And looking at the support for the Black Lives Matter movement back in 2013, where a minority, where a minority of Americans agreed with, with that statement. Now we're seeing a majority of voters agree with that statement. So the numbers are trending in the right direction. And a lot of this comes down to coalition building. If we're not having discussions with one another, if we're not reaching across demographics to bring people into this movement, then we're, we're, we're not really progressing at the rate that we should. And I just want to do another quick plug for Martin Luther King and the Poor People's Campaign. A lot of people point to the civil rights movement as something that led to, to him being assassinated. But it wasn't until he started looking at how to bring working class people across all races, colors, and creeds together for the Poor People's Campaign that uh, shortly after he ended up being killed. Mm-hmm. Because that's a scary thought for people that hold the majority of power in our society. When you get working class people together, when you get people that can relate to that oppressive feeling, whether that's financial, racial, you know, you have something powerful there. So the fact that we are seeing protests, not only throughout the United States, not only here in Chicago, but around the world, sends a powerful message, I would hope, to the establishment, to the people that are doing our, uh, that are in charge of our legislation at the local and federal level to say something needs to change and it needs to change now. I want to pick up on something that Joshua said that is important. I think that these movements, these movements have been happening in a cyclical fashion for years and years and decades. And I mean, you could argue for hundreds of years, right? Um, but the, and, and they bring about a set amount of change at the time. But in order for that change to, um, to fulfill itself in resolution and continue on, you have to, like you said, build coalitions. But one of the things that I think is important in terms of coalitions is how it expresses itself in our political system. And I think that what would be interesting to see here moving forward is the uh, fight for the soul of the Democratic Party and where that goes, because obviously Bernie lost, uh, Biden won. And even after these protests, Biden is quoted as saying something, or maybe we should train police to shoot at the legs or something like that, mm-hmm. which to me tells me that the message is not getting across to the hierarchy. And, uh, you know, the people uh, in charge of the Democratic Party, we were just discussing off of uh, before this call, uh, you know, that Hillary Clinton just endorsed that guy who in New York who, you know, on a hot mic said that, yeah, that he, he, the only reason he cares about these issues right now is because he's going up for re-election. So if that's the attitude, that the message is not getting across to the people who need to start changing or need to start giving up some of their power and letting 
those within the establishment of our political system, you know, come to the forefront with these ideas, even if it's incremental change. All right. Now, I, we'll get to the presidential race in a little bit. Yeah. I, I definitely want to – both two Bernie supporters on uh, on the show with me right now, uh, Joshua and Adolfo, and I'd love to see uh, how they're feeling about things. Uh, we don't, haven't had a good presidential uh, discussion in a while because everything's been so diverted by uh, the issue of policing and the pandemic. But anyway, we'll get to that. I have to ask you this, Adolfo. I don't believe I've ever asked you this question, so curious what your response will be. Mm-hmm. Pretty much every uh, black guest that comes on this show when we talk about policing uh, has an experience with the police that's negative. And and uh, overwhelming majority of the white people that come on the show have not had a negative experience with the police. So in the past, I know that a lot of white people were a little dubious when they heard stories about uh, police uh, be- beating up uh, a black suspect or bleeding up just beating up a black citizen they're like well it never happened to me you know what i mean he must have done something <laughs> wrong uh right. i've heard this a million times in my life as a white man i've known a lot of white people and uh so i've never asked you this question H- have you growing up uh, adolfo grew up on the southwest side of chicago proud graduate Curie High School, whose paper high school was on the front page of the Tribune today. Uh, <laughs> a proud graduate of Curie High School. Have you had your own uh, negative encounters with police over the years growing up in Chicago? Yeah, absolutely. Not only as a kid, but as a, more, I think, as a grown up. Um, and, you know, and full disclosure, and you know this, but my brother's a police officer and I love him and we have discussions because I'm a civil libertarian defense attorney, but, you know, I mean, so I, I, I also have a little bias, you know, because my brother's a cop, but uh, irrespective of that, of course, I've had, um, I mean, I've had, uh, you know, everything from, I remember uh, as a high school kid going to traffic court, the old traffic court across the river, uh, that big red building, I forget what it's called, Almost with an out. uncle of mine. And I remember sitting in the front, in the front row, which is reserved for police officers, sitting there by mistake because I didn't see the thing. And I remember a cop, turning over and, and telling me something to the effect of like, hey, you fucking Mexican, read the fucking sign. This is for cops only. And I got up and I felt like I'm, I'm fucking far more educated in high school than you are, you asshole. But, you know, I didn't say anything. I remember being stopped with my dad one time and uh, the cop, it was a it was a, a cop, off-duty cop, pulled over my dad because he felt that my dad cut him off or something like that. And, uh, no, it wasn't, he was on duty, but he was playing close. And he swore all, you know, like he said all this fucking fucked up shit to my dad. And uh, my dad took it coolly. And and finally, my dad stood up and just said, you know what? Stop the barking and give me a fucking ticket or, or get the fuck away. And the guy gave him a ticket, you know. But that's the kind of shit that I saw um, as a kid. When, now as a grown-up, I mean, I've been, I've been in a car in a Volvo with a colleague, dressed in a suit at night, leaving my house to go to Kinko's. And because uh, I still live in the neighborhood, you know, some cops are looking for some, some, uh, somebody with a description. I, I'm, I'm thinking, they stop our car with get, you know guns uh, drawn and saying like, you know, where are you going? Where do you live? I'm like, I live right here. Where are you going? I'm going to Kinko's at this time of night. Uh, yeah, Kinko's is open 24 hours a day, motherfucker. You know, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm in a Volvo with a white dude. We're both in suits and we're going to Kinko's. You know, I'm just like, you know, so. Uh, I mean, and there's many other examples. I just, I got pulled up over in Rosemont uh, about a year ago because the the license plate light in the back was out. So I I I um you know uh, the guy lit me up. I, I couldn't believe it. I pulled over to the side. I did everything right because I'm a lawyer and I uh, turned up the car, put on the, the 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 hazard, turned on the dome light, put my hands on the on the steering wheel. You know. And uh, the guy came up, I rolled down the window, I turned off the radio, I did everything, how can I help you, blah, blah, blah. And I go, well, why was I pulled over, officer? Oh, because, um, you know, your t- your license plate light is on. I go, I didn't even know I had a bulb there in the license plate thing. And and I knew immediately when he said that, that basically that was the pretext for stopping me to look for guns or drugs. And, it, you know, unfortunately it's legal under the USB Ren decision. Uh but I knew at that point that he was just fucking with me. But then when he saw me in a suit and everything, and, and he even asked, he goes, he goes, I know you from somewhere. And 
at the time I thought he meant like, oh, and I, I answered, oh, yeah, I ran for office. I ran for state senate twice. Maybe that's where you know me from. And that caught him up. Uh, that, that, he was like, what? Because the reason he asked me, I know you from somewhere, was to say, oh, yeah, I've been arrested a couple of times. That's what he expected me to say. And I said, oh, yeah, because I run for office, right? You've probably seen my face. And he was like, what? You run for office? And, and then I thought about it. I go, oh, this fucker was, was trying to prod me to say, yeah, I've been arrested or I've, been, you know, I've done time or something like that. And instead he got an answer, oh, I've run for office. And I totally caught him off guard. You know, so, I mean, I've, I've been stopped pretextually. Um, cops have given me a fucking attitude when they don't know I'm an attorney. Uh, you know, they don't see counselor or whatever, what they think, you know, just some, some jamoke out there or whatever. But have you ever yeah, tried? So I've, I've had a bad have you ever tried uh, telling a police officer that, uh, uh, officers, you know, my brother's a police officer for the Chicago Police Department? Have oh, you- yeah. Oh, the time that I got stopped with the guns drawn, I said, uh, he goes, I, he goes, he asked my name and I go, yeah, my name. I go, you probably know my, my brother, Sal. He's in seven. And he goes, oh, yeah, whatever. You know, like, you know, <laughs> that's not cutting mm-hmm. with me, pal. Wow. Yeah, 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 <laughs> whatever. I might have heard of him. Yeah. You know, I'm just like, okay, whatever. You know, a point that I'll just final point that I make is that the luxury I have is that I know how to conduct myself to mitigate the possibility that a police officer is going to fucking wail on me and beat my ass. It doesn't mean it won't happen. Okay. Cause that could be professional as fuck. And some cop could still go off on me. But, um, you know, other people, unfortunately, get attacked, you know, and you have a right to be pissed and to say, fuck you and not want to be arrested or whatever. Well, that's just the wrong way. That's just, uh, instead of mitigating the possibility you're going to get your ass beat, that's increasing the chances you're going to get your ass beat. And it happens all the time, you know? Joshua, what about you? Well, first off, I just want to affirm my doleful story. I can definitely relate. Um, you know, I, also, just before I share my own experience, just want to, on a lighter note, let Ben know I think I won the over-under on a goalful <laughs> drop in this one. But also, but, but also <laughs> shout, out to, shout out to Jamal Bowman in New York for running against Elliot Engel. He just got an endorsement from Elizabeth Warren, so that's a pretty big deal. Awesome. So very much paying attention to that campaign. Um, in, my, in my own personal experience, you know, I have an, I have the unfortunate luxury. I'm Puerto Rican. My mom's from Puerto Rico. My dad's from Spain. So that's original. That's already kind of a, a conflict of identities where I have roots in the oppressor and roots in the oppressed. Uh, for me, the unfortunately, re, the unfortunate reality is that I am white passing. I am a white passing Latinx male. So I have I have that unfortunate luxury of being able to go between both worlds of the brown community and the white community. And in in most cases you're kind of left un, unscathed. You don't normally have a lot of those a lot of those incidents where the police with the police because you might be seen as being white. Mm-hmm. So one thing that one thing that really drew my attention to there being an issue here, I can remember a, uh, a couple moments in high school where, you know, I went to Catholic school. So I went to Archbishop Quigley Preparatory Seminary and they made us dress up with dress shirts and ties and my parents busted their, you know what, to make sure I, I got that education. Um, so there would be times where I'd come back from home, I'd take the CTA back home to Humble Park I'd have my tie on. I would go unscathed. No one would give me any trouble. I'd get, I'd get home safe. If it was a weekend, I was out with my friends. If I had a day off from school, there were moments where, you know, I was really into 50 Cent growing up. I was really into Jay-Z growing up. I had Fat Farm. I had G-Unit clothes. I would rock the heck out of that, uh, out of those clothing lines. And, um, you know, I would get my hair done. I'd get, I'd get my fade. I'd get a fade. I'd get a lineup. And whenever I look, my appearance looked different. That is when I noticed on my walk from the CTA to my home, where I would all of a sudden get stopped. I'd get at, I, maybe I would say hi to some friends that were on the corner or hanging out on their porch. And all of a sudden, next thing I know, I'm sitting on the curb while the police are checking my identity. One time, another story I, I had. So that I had, so that on that end, I would just on my outward appearance, I would get stopped and harassed. Even though I did nothing wrong, I was just walking home. On the other end, 
I remember I dressed up, I was riding my bike to the buddy of mine. We went to go visit some friends in Hermosa and I, it was Halloween. And I remember cops pulling up to the corner and they're just looking at us. And we're, my friend and I are there just saying hi to our, our buddy. And the cop literally looks at me and says, what the F are you looking at? You F and B word. I'll F and end you right here. And they're like, they're like a block away from me. So they're screaming this at me. And all I did was look because I'm, I was trained from a young age to just be aware when there's police around you. And my parents did a good job in instilling um, knowledge of, of my rights. Um, so all I was doing was looking. And even that got a verbal, a verbal aggressive response. Um, again, this is not the same level as what Adolfo has experienced, but from someone that is a white passing Latinx individual, I've noticed that the way the way I present myself outwardly, one way or another, is going to get two polar opposite responses from law enforcement. Um, and that's not to say that that's every interaction I've had with a police officer. I have family members that are police officers as well. But from a young age, I I realized that there's there's a difference here in the way I'm policed compared to my other brothers and sisters in the black and brown community. All right. Well, let's. Uh... Let's talk about this then in terms of building a coalition. Uh, in my experience in Chicago, and I've lived there since 81, it's always been uh, a difficult accomplishment to achieve, getting uh, uh, the Hispanic community, Latino community, and the black community to join forces in a political coalition. Uh, you could say it happened for Harold Washington in the 80s before either of you were around or before you guys were active in politics. Uh, but after that, no. And you know, we all know that Harold Washington, I'm just going to go with this brief moment, I have to say this, is responsible. Harold Washington, all thanks should go to Harold Washington. He essentially built the modern uh, Latino political movement in this city when he gave jobs to Luis Gutierrez and Jesus Chuy Garcia, which enabled them to go out uh, and have a career as politicians. So they owe it to him. And then what happened, and this is just me as a Harold Washington guy pointing this out, as soon as Richie Daly came in, Hispanics abandoned black politicians <laughs> and went to Daly. I saw this. I lived through this, Adolfo, okay? And then we had this division that's existed. So when Miguel Devay ran in 2011, black voters went with Rahm Emanuel. In 2015, when Chuy Garcia ran, black voters went with Rahm Emanuel. So it's been a division in this city since Harold Washington. Adolfo, do you think we're at a moment now where that division can be bridged, at least when it comes to progressive politics? Go. I think we're, uh, we're at a moment where um, we're seeing the ability to make that um, those coalitions uh, viable again in, in, in the next 10 or 15 or 20 years in that the generate, the young generation, the millennials and people who come before millennials and just after whatever, uh, those are all people within our communities that are raised under a different uh, reality in terms of, um, you know, how they feel, towards marginalized people like uh, gays and blacks and uh, uh, Native Americans, etc. When I was growing up in a primarily Mexican community, um, Mexican and Mexican-American community, I mean, <laughs> we weren't, we weren't like, we, we weren't overtly racist. I think that we, we, at least among my generation, we admired a lot of the things uh, that the African American community had done because we knew we we uh, we were part of that same boat. But you know that anti-colorism and anti-blackness uh, that comes back from colonialism to whatever seeps in, and you know there are attitudes like I would hear my dad or my uncle say something like, you know, all oh, these black guys are are lazy at work and they don't work like Mexican immigrants or whatever, blah blah blah. And their homophobic views, for example, their machismo and stuff like that. And it, and it took a while till I was a grown up and I was in college to shed myself from those, from uh, those views, you know. 
But I think that the generation now, like people like my niece, she's 18, 17, 18 years old. She views the world completely different. And she's free of those hangups and those stereotypes that I grew up, that even I grew up with. And I did, and I was pretty already, you know, uh, 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 from a generation that's already kind of like, you know, well-reasoned about these things. But, you know, we had our own hangups and our own prejudices. And I think that this new generation has less of those. And as we move forward, I think there'll be less and less of those. And that is what's going to make it possible for a coalition to happen, not anything else. I think it's 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 generational uh, changes in views and uh, uh, and how they they interact with other people that's going to change it. Not not people who are already predisposed to hangups and stereotypes that's going to do it. Joshua, yeah, just to, yeah, just to piggyback on that, you know, I, I at the heart of this is, I mean, this is layered, but. You know, I, I, one of the big things I point to when you look at the divisions across communities is the scarcity mindset. So we look at, you know, in my, in my experience, you know, I have been in Latinx circles where there has been overwhelming support for issues that matter most to the black community. There has been solidarity there. I've also been in other circles where I've heard microaggressions, where you might get, you might get told you have the good hair if you have straight hair and it's not, and it's not coarse, you might be told you're getting too dark to stop getting a tan because you, the lighter skin is seen as being the, the better skin. So we have, we have those microaggressions that slip in to, to our households, to our other relationships. when we're talking to people and people let their guard down and they start saying those things, unless they they're confronted on it in a way that educates them and really tries to dismantle the decades of this scarcity mindset that's been ingrained in people's minds. And what I mean by a scarcity mindset is by, I guess the perfect example of this would be, I was talking to a, a friend of mine and they were really struggling with the, the rioting and looting that was going on. And when I, when I challenged them, when I pushed back a little bit and said, we need to be in solidarity with people. I'm okay. Once said riots are the voice of the unheard. So we need to, we need to really come together around these issues. And the response I got back was black people don't care about Latinx issues. So why should I care about theirs? And that broke my heart because that is totally buying into a scarcity mindset where if one group of people has something, that means my group of people have nothing. And that is just a, 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 a horrible way of looking at this because instead of challenging the systems, the, the systemic issues in our systems from top to bottom, instead we are, we are looking across from one another and looking at each other as the enemy or as competition and challenging one another on who can have something and who can't instead of challenging the system as a whole so we can all have a seat at the table. By the way, I got to tell you this. I don't. I don't know if either of you've seen it, but the, the Five Blood, Spike Lee's new movie, which just dropped on Netflix. I saw it. Yeah. You saw it. Okay. Uh, Didn't you? Then you remember. Uh, Josh has not seen it, but the one of the uh, uh, great scenes. Uh, Delroy Lin, uh, Lindo. He's a Trump supporter. Okay, I'm just going to put that out mm-hmm. there. And uh, <laughs> they got the, he's wearing that MAGA hat in the movie, which in and of itself, is, Spike Lee handles brilliantly the MAGA hat, Adolfo. You got to admit the way he handled that MAGA hat. <laughs> but there's that scene early on where he admits to his, his friends, all black men, that he voted for Trump. He goes, we got to build that wall. It's time black people started looking out for black people. Remember that scene, uh, Adolfo? Mm-hmm. It's in a bar or in yeah. a restaurant in uh, a Ho Chi Minh right. City. And it's a deep scene because the other guys just call him out on it. They're like, come on. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah. They just start making fun of him. But it, he says, it's, it's sort of saying the same thing that uh, Joshua's friend was saying. You get what I'm saying? I'm sick well, of there, it. Well, there, there, there is a zero-sum politics that, you know, that slide in here. I mean, you, you, Bobby Rush, for example, I've heard him in the past say things like, well, you know, we can't be pro-immigrant. Because, you know, immigrants come here and lower, um, you know, base salaries. And not only that, take away jobs from African-American community because we're fighting for the same nickel. Right. And so there are economic zero sum policies, uh, maybe legitimate, maybe not, that come into play with this thing. And there are people within, uh, you know, the different communities that make these arguments. 
Uh, all right. Now, uh, before we move, I want to close with uh, putting Adolfo on the hot seat with Raylo and Lori Lightfoot. Uh, he's no ducking and dodging on this show. He's going to have to weigh in on that one. But before we do that, let's go back to uh, the presidential race. Uh, Joshua, you alluded to Jamal Bowen, Bowman uh, running against Elliot Engel uh, in New York. Yes, that's a fight uh, in the Democratic primary. It's a primary fight. Uh, so it's getting at mm -hmm. some of the themes that Adolfo talks about a lot when he comes on this show, progressives uh, versus mainstream Democrats and which way is the Democratic Party going to go ultimately. Uh, so what's your sense of things right now, Josh, as a Bernie supporter? Do you think Joe Biden has been as accommodating uh, enough to uh, your views as a Bernie supporter? No, absolutely not. I mean, the... You know, unfortunately, when, when Bernie dropped out of the race, you know, maybe we can blame this on the, the quarantine or the fact that the Democratic establishment really coalesced around Joe Biden. But I didn't see the from from Bernie. I did not see the amount of pressure on Joe Biden's candidacy that I saw in 2016 when he ran against Hillary Clinton. And I think that that would have been a this, that moment would have been a very good negotiating opportunity to really pull the Democratic platform this election further to the left. But instead, it was just kind of this, you know, it just kind of came and went, at least in my opinion. So I don't know that Joe Biden has had to earn the the vote of Bernie Sanders supporters, at least not the diehard Bernie Sanders supporters. Now I'm not I'm not saying don't don't vote this election, but you know we need to get something, and I don't know that we're seeing enough movement to the left from Joe Biden at all, and it, it goes back to the same pattern where we tr always try to meet in the middle, even though a majority of Americans overwhelmingly are supportive progressive policy. So, I, in short, again, I, I don't think he has done enough. Adolfo. No, I agree. I don't think that he's done enough. I've seen. Uh... On social media, some numbers where, you know, Biden right now is polling lower among Latinos than Hillary did, uh, you know, when she was running for for office. So that's not a, a good sign. Uh, I don't know how he's doing it among uh, the African-American community, which supposedly was his base or whatever. But it was supposedly Hillary's base, too. And they didn't come out and vote in uh, Wisconsin and Madison and all these other places. And she lost key, uh, uh, key states and ultimately she lost the presidency. So... I don't know, man. I uh, I don't think that these, uh, uh, you know, this Biden era, Clinton era, uh, Democratic structural people are getting the message. I think that they just, again, view this as they have to, you know, these people have to vote our way or else we get Trump. And that's that. But I've told you, uh, Ben, I think that there are people who believe that sometimes you have to gnaw a limb off of yourself in order to save the body. And, you know, last time we gnawed off a hand, we're going to have to fucking gnaw off a leg this time or what for these uh, Clintonites to fucking get it and, like, you know, put out the pasture Hillary and all these other people because they they need to shut the fuck up. Yeah. You know? Uh, by the way. Yeah, uh, it's like, what did we learn? What did we learn from the, the last recession? You know, what, the people we've elected to represent us in Congress overwhelmingly supported policy that helped Wall Street out. I didn't get my student loans forgiven. My parents didn't get mortgage assistance. I didn't get any stimulus check. We look fast forward to today when we're not, we're not only dealing with the pandemic, but an economic crisis and Wall Street's climbing up the charts. That's doing, that's doing well. What did we get in that CARES Act? I got, I got a stimulus check. I have, I know people in, in Humble Park and Hermosa that have yet to receive their, and there's their, their stimulus checks and they're senior citizens. My parents, haven't received their stimulus check. And we're just talking about one check. And who, who are, the question I'm getting at here is who is the Democratic Party representing? Who is the Republican Party representing? And if you don't feel like they're representing your values, you have every right in this country to protest that, to challenge, and to primary the heck out of elected officials that you don't feel reflect the values of yourself, those around you, or your community. And right now we're we're like wearing the kente wearing the kente uh, um, scarf and kneeling. Uh, I don't know if you saw that picture of the the Democratic leadership from the from the House, but it's all like these these 
these grandiose visuals that they're doing to try and make people feel like they're on their side when that's when those actions are reflected in the policy. So if you're just going to give us lip service and just give us empty words, then if you're not putting the energy behind us, then where do you expect the energy to come from us behind you? All right. Now, uh, we'll, we'll hold it there for uh, the time being because I want to close by uh, giving Adolfo a moment to uh, listen to Ray Lowe's <laughs> encounter with uh, uh, Lori Lightfoot. And again, Adolfo is from the southwest side. He's from back of the yards. From the fifth. On the 15th war, uh, <laughs> pride and joy of the Southwest side and still lives there, still loves it, represents, went to Curie High School, loves his condors. Just to set it up, this was in the aftermath of the uh, unrest of Memorial Day weekend. The mayor, Lori Lightfoot, had a phone conversation with several aldermen. Uh, it was not a public conversation. It was a private conversation. So there's an issue of whether it violated the Open Meetings Act. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and then it was recorded. Somebody recorded it. So then there was a, an issue of whether it violated eavesdropping laws that, uh, pro that uh, prohibit people from taping conversations. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Chicago Alderman and the mayor can't get together without violating the law. Actually, you may uh, be, this may be hard for you to hear. I think we've done this before, and Monroe was unable to hear it. Uh, so let it, me know if you can hear if this. If it doesn't work, I'll just say what happens. Okay. okay. All right, go ahead. All right, we've all heard the clip. If it doesn't work. <laughs> a better credit card? We've got you. The experts at you guys hear that okay? Hundreds of credit cards, so you can narrow in on what... No, I don't get All right, so, all right, well, we don't have to play it. I'll just, I set it up. Give, paraphrase what he said. Paraphrase well, what he here, said. This is the, the important part that I wanted you to hear it. It was, there was a setup. And so the aldermen were going around explaining, asking questions of the mayor that were, and, and uh, expressing their concerns about what had gone down uh, during the Memorial Day weekend and what she was going right. to be doing, what the city was going to be doing. And he so, described the looting on 47th Street, right, basically? He was, yeah, and he was saying that there was lawlessness. And he didn't just say that there was right. lawlessness. He went, uh, he strayed a little toward Trump country, uh, and he was talking about uh, gangbangers with AK-47s. He was talking about uh, uh, looters who may eventually turn their attention from the commercial districts and go into the, the neighborhoods and start attacking homes. Uh, and, uh, okay. so then he was, <clears throat> and he mocked her, uh, her, uh, her proposal that, uh, religious leaders, f uh, get in between police and, uh, demonstrators. He mocked that and he said, we need, uh, something more, uh, protective than that. And so what do you think right. of my ideas? At which point she said next uh, alderman in other words she just didn't pay attention dismissed them right yeah exactly. and then he said wait a minute answer my questions what do you think of my ideas at which point she said and i'm quoting i i think you're a hundred percent full of shit 100 percent i love the 100 percent added in there all right uh so go ahead adolfo your response your thoughts all right so my thoughts on this uh it's a little nuanced i think that um the alderman uh has a legitimate critique in that the strategy of the city, I think, clearly forgot about the south and southwest sides and uh, because of their inability to foresee that by closing up the downtown that uh, some of this uh, looting would uh, ultimately hit uh, these neighborhoods, um, a lot of shit happened. And, uh, I mean, I live on the southwest side and I roam around my neighborhoods and uh, a, lot, a lot of businesses that, you know, that were uh, were hit. Now, am I crying for multinational corporations and people that are insured? No, but I think that there's a lot of mom and pop stores and businesses on 26th Street, 47th Street, and stuff that got hit, and that is a tragedy. I I, I believe, you know, because I'm sorry, but one two wrongs don't make a right, and I don't care how many mental gymnastics you're gonna make, you're not gonna convince me otherwise. Just a slippery slope argument to say that because there was some past transgression that now I could go in commit something else and that's okay that legitimizes it no i can understand it i can empathize with it i can sympathize with it but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna justify it okay so i think he had a legitimate beef with that at the same time knowing uh the alderman i think that you know this is uh this is part for the course with the you know his attitude with this administration and that 
you know, he's going to want to grandstand and fuck with the mayor. And because there's not many people who are fucking with the mayor outright. So, you know, this is how you make a name for yourself. You got to become the squeaky wheel and get the oil and all that other stuff. And so I think this was totally his ulterior motives were he wanted to elicit a response. And knowing that the mayor is recalcitrant and she has an attitude problem, she does. You know, uh, and whether she's a woman or not, you know, it doesn't matter. Don't, don't give me that. Oh, she's a woman and a woman can't be tough. No, no. Whether you're a woman or not, you're the mayor. You have a fucking recalcitrant problem. And, you know, so he knows that he baits her and she fucking takes the bait. And uh, I think that that's that's basically what happened. So they're both wrong on, you know, uh, one for grandstanding, the other one for just dismissing his legitimate concern, but that he was using for political points. You know, this whole thing about, he went on, like, uh, I think I saw a clip on, he went on uh, the WTTW show, uh, uh, what, what do you call it, with Paris? Chicago uh, Tonight? Uh, Chicago Tonight. Oh, yeah, Chicago Tonight. And he was, and he said that uh, Mike Rodriguez and uh, Byron Cisco uh, Lopez were cooperating with the gangbangers and that they, you know, that it was, uh, Lori Lightfoot was also cooperating with them. I mean, I think that that's just a baseless fucking accusation. I think that he's just actually pissed that he was in a bunker somewhere when these other aldermen may have been on the street trying to calm the situation down. And if, and if they had to cooperate with residents who happen to be gangbangers who were out there, well, you know, I mean, that's what you have to do. You're not responsible for what some of these people do, but if you're trying to mitigate harms to other people and try to keep heads cool, you have to interact with the with even, you know, the rough people in the neighborhood. What the fuck are you going to do? Just say, no, I'm not going to speak to them. Yeah. So if they had to do that, they had to do that. That doesn't mean that they that they gave the marching orders and said, hey, go beat up on every black person that comes in here. That's bullshit. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. You know? I, uh, that, that's in other words, uh, uh, both sides went a little far. I, he, I think he baited the hell out of her. Uh, and uh, with his rhetoric. And she took it. And she, she took it. <laughs> she took it. Yeah. Yeah, so, because... <laughs> But I, I will say this you know? about your guy, Raylo. Uh, I welcome, I always say this about Raylo. I welcome his <laughs> principled opposition to the mayor uh, when he expresses it in terms of the need of the legislative body to uh, be a separate branch from the executive. I always welcome that as the principal. I, and I always throw this out. Raylo, where were you mm -hmm. from 2015 to well, 2000 right, when I needed right, you? Okay. Right, but I right, just, right, you know what? Right. I just, I mean, we go through changes and now he, you know, he's, he's where he's at right now. Okay. So right. I should appreciate that, but I always love pointing that out. Well, he's politically savvy and, you know, I mean, he does what he, he transforms himself and does what he has to do, you know, in, in the situation he finds himself. He's no longer allied by the mayor, no longer allied by Burke and, people around him in Cicero and other areas that, you know, uh, so, you know, he has to, he has to do what he has to do. Yeah. He has to do what he has to do. Could I just add one, one little thing oh, I and not to the back and forth. Josh, add a, and add mayor, a curse but... word in there. Yeah. Everyone else is cursed, man. You got to now. I'm going to put you out. Shit. I just said that. Uh, you know what? If I get, if I talk long enough, it'll, it'll definitely come out. I might pump enough bomb, but I mean, I, I think there's, Adolfo had mentioned downtown closing when we had peaceful protests going on. Um, and yes, there was looting. Yes, there was rioting. But just such a misguided decision on on behalf of the entire city to just close off downtown. You shut down CTA. You open. Up, you lift up the bridges. How are you expecting people to get back to their communities? In addition to that, who are you protecting by closing off downtown? You're diverting all of that energy that was concentrated on the downtown area back into the communities. So what happens to these communities? All that energy has to go somewhere. Like I said earlier, MLK said riots are the voice of the unheard. If the, if the social contract that we have made in this country is you can all, you all have an opportunity to succeed. And that is not the reality. The system is not built for the benefit of brown and black communities. And that anger bubbles to the surface to the point where people don't know how to let that energy out and to let their voices be heard, but to get, physical 
you have all of that energy downtown diverted to the communities. The communities are the ones that suffer. And if and and Ben, I don't know if you've heard of these things called TIF dollars, but there are there are so many resources that we pump into the downtown area. If downtown burned down today, it would get rebuilt in a heartbeat because that's just the way we roll in the city. What what is Hermosa gonna get? What's back of the yards gonna get? What's Inglewood gonna get amidst all this all that uh, all that destruction? That is where you're not going to get that investment. I'm never going to cry for a multinational corporation getting its windows broken, you know, because they're insured and they're going to they're, they're going to they're going to be just fine, you know. It's the mom and, and pop guys yeah. on 26th yep. Street and 47th Street and you know everywhere else in the city. You know, but you, the, and you can make the and you can make the argument that a lot of these million dollar billion dollar corporations are the ones that have the resources and the personnel to lobby elected officials for policy that could really bring systemic change to our society as a whole. Right now, there's a lot of lobbying that only benefits them. But if you were to, if you were to start burning chases, uh, chase banks or Wells Fargo's, best believe they're gonna put lobbying effort towards police reform, towards racial justice, towards the issues that really matter to marginalized communities. So I'm just just throwing it out there. It's just a misguided it's just a misguided action that really made, like Adolfo said, our mom and pop shops suffer the most. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned the TIFs. So, uh, we're closing down now, but if there was ever a moment when the city would have the incentive to reconsider how it spends its dollars, because these are economic development dollars, this would be that moment. And, and gentlemen, I'm very skeptical about my beloved city of Chicago. Uh, when In the entire time I've been here, well, post Harold Washington, whenever it came to doling out the do dollars, the city, the powers that be in this city have doled out the do dollars to the wealthiest communities and overlooked the communities like the one Adolfo lives in. It's just always happened. And no matter how many articles mm -hmm. I wrote in the reader, how many columns I wrote, they just continue to yeah. do it. Because we give a lot of lip service, and then when push comes to shove, the powers that be control it. And it's just like what Bernie was up against, Adolfo. You know what I'm saying? It's just this entrenched yeah. mindset. So uh, let's. I'm. I'm going to go back to my campaign, uh, <laughs> Joshua. I'm not quitting on it, you know. But um, I've been, had very Good. few allies in this city when it comes to redistributing the money that we have, which is for this freaking. Or as I said, freaking uh, for this freaking purpose. So uh, got me going there, Joshua. When you mentioned the TIF program, all right, we got to head out, uh, Joshua. Tell folks about your podcast one last time and spell it so they can find it. Sure thing. So I, I host a podcast called the Baseo Podcast. Baseo is spelled P-A-S-E-O. You can find us at baseomedia.org. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at Paseo Podcast. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at J.S. De Leon. De Leon is spelled D-E-L-E-O-N. Um, and I, I'm a Puerto Rican guy, Chicago-born Boricua, and I'm all about bringing those Puerto Rican stories to life. And if I can be an ally to another community, if I can help bring a story to life, feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to get it on there. All right, very good. Uh, any closing thoughts you have, Adolfo? No, just uh, hope, uh, you know, the, the, the media people out there uh, keep an interest on my ongoing case. I still believe that it's very important. Uh, it, could be a, it could be a very monumental decision if the courts decide that politicians cannot take money from their political committees to defend themselves, particularly against uh, charges of, um, you know, wrongdoing while they're in office. Uh, I think it's, a, it's a, an important issue that would affect uh, you know, the entire state. And, you know, I hope uh, that we keep it alive. I know that every day, the sometimes the Tribune keeps harping that, you know, more and more politicians who get indicted or, are, uh, you know, on the verge of getting indicted are doing this practice. But because there's no nothing to uh, enforce what I believe is the law against it, uh, you know, it keeps happening. Yeah. And Adolfo, uh, just to make Definitely sure. I look at qualified immunity, everybody. Qualified immunity. <laughs> Adolfo, I'm pretty sure you got the record, but just to make sure, just drop one more uh, F bomb. 
<laughs> no, I'm sorry. Yeah, let, let it fucking rip, man. Let yeah, it fucking yeah, rip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you no. know, George Carlin, my one of my favorite comedian, used to have you know seven uh, words you can't use on TV and stuff, and he'd talk about which is your your favorite. So I gotta say, motherfucker is my favorite. Okay. Oh, no. One time, I'm not making this up. When we were back in the studio. Adolfo walked into the. He was walking in. He wasn't even at the microphone. He dropped an f bomb. I'm like, that's a record, dude. Isn't even at the microphone. Oh Joshua, Joshua, what's your favorite word of the seven? My favorite word of the seven. The seven. Have you oh, ever heard that? Oh, George Carlin. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. I missed that. George Carlin. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. You can't go wrong with fuck. It's a verb. It's a noun. It's an adjective. I mean, it's like a multi-purpose word. That's great. Yeah, we, maybe we should do this. Ask every guest. So, uh, uh, no, let's not do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get a poll. Get a poll going on the Twitter account. <laughs> oh, Twitter. Yeah. What? One of these days we're going to get involved on Twitter. All right, Josh. Thank you very much, Adolfo. Thank you very much. Take care, everybody.